T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. In just over a week, Rahm Emanuel will give up what he has more than once called the best job he's ever had. And he's had some pretty good ones. This weekend, we'll look back a bit with the mayor and I hope also take a look at where we in the city and the nation are right now. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore and this is At Issue. May 20th is when attorney Lori Lightfoot will be sworn in as Chicago's next mayor and face the challenges all mayors face, like the budget, violent crime, and delivering services to communities that need them. After her inauguration, Mayor Lightfoot and her wife Amy will greet well-wishers in the office that we happen to be sitting in right now. Mayor Emanuel has agreed to sit down for one more At Issue broadcast, and thank you for having me in. Thanks, Greg. Um, from, from both of your campaigns, it was pretty clear that you knew what you were getting into when you uh, walked through these doors here. But besides seeing how good and resilient the people of Chicago are, what, if anything, has surprised you about the job itself along the way? About the job? Um, I would say, uh, the, first of all, I don't want to go on with talking about the job without underscoring not only the resilience and the, the people, the resilience of the city as a whole. I kind of mark my time that eight years ago, the city had somewhat lost its swagger given the weight of all the challenges on multiple fronts. And I do think eight years later, the city has its swagger back. Or the light, one way I kind of symbolize it is when I, when I ran, four people ran for office. When I walked out, 26 filed. <laughs> Tells you something <laughs> yeah. that they felt a lot of stuff got done before they got here. So uh, let me, um, that's one way to manifest it. I think the surprise, you know, while you know that the mayor historically, culturally, has this influence and the capacity, not just because of the, I mean, the history of uh, uh, Mayor Daley and long-serving mayors. But you don't really quite capture it until you realize, I mean, the park investments, the library investments, the mass transit investments, the housing investments, the school investments, the community college investments, the police, the fire, the neighborhood services. It, it, it's just, and then you re, when you start to be able to aggregate all that, the impact, and then the immediacy of this. I think the other thing, and one of the things, I, which is what I don't mean, I'm not doing a plug of the book, but in a time in which your people are in search of community and the search of ability to affect government that impacts their lives, this local government, specifically not just mayor but the city of Chicago government, is the most immediate and intimate form of government in people's lives. I mean, let's be honest, Greg. D.C. is Disneyland on the Potomac. You don't look at it for crossover, for entertainment almost 50% of the time. Um, and for a long time, Springfield has been also a bit dysfunctional. This, though, is, is the government that not only, you know, where does the school go? What is a park? Do they get have lights on? How about our new train system? It is the most 
immediate and intimate form of government people can get. And also on how to bring people um, in on that discussion. So that to me, um, while I can't, you, at one level I knew it intellectually, you don't really feel it uh, until you're in what I would call the cockpit seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk about some of the uh, the kinds of things that you've had to deal with. Sure. Uh, I suppose if there's any single area, and, and uh, you just talked about how many different areas there yeah. are, but if there were one single area that seemed to dominate a lot of the attention of the public in Chicago and across the nation, it would, of course, be law and order in, in so many of its forms. Um, Obviously, violent crime was one dimension. Uh, no single solution, of course, and we've talked about that a lot over the years. But in some ways, people in the past have tried to find one. Uh, but has it proven, even with the multiple things that have been done over the well, years, for- it, is, it, is it a confounding problem? Yes, but no. Uh, I don't mean, I'm, yeah. well, you said one solution. It's too complicated to lend itself yeah. to one solution. Um, and I think you know, I mean, I'm, yeah, I that's what you, I was saying. Yeah, it's, people it's, have tried it. But everybody and, who's looking for the singular <laughs> lightning strike, if that was happening, somebody would have discovered it after 50 years of effort. Um, here's what I would say is um, policing, effective community policing plays a significant role but it cannot be put on police and alone. A solid education system plays a role. You and I both know, Craig, the difference between a young man or woman who has a high school diploma versus a dropout is totally two different paths in life. One, you have a tomorrow that you're living for. The other one, you don't even think you're gonna make it to tomorrow. It's a big difference. Um, Second is the opportunity uh, where you replace Despair with hope can change a feeling of community. I've said this before, I'll say it again. One of the things I'm proud about, like with the Neighborhood Opportunity Fund, where we give some businesses 100,000, others 1.5, for coffee shops, restaurants, theaters, neighborhood theaters. A young child walking by a storefront boarded up internalizes one view versus a child that walks by where there's a help wanted sign and a light out and seeing people in the neighborhood having coffee and talking. It's a total different internalization of what is possible let alone the people that work there, and also drinking coffee, having community there. Um, There's also the tail end of um, the rest of the criminal justice system. I mean, take the shooting the other day on the train station. The shooter was 14 years old, access to a gun, with 15 arrests, more arrests than years on his life. Hmm. Now, then the other thing that nobody wants to talk about, and I get why, but faith and family. There is nothing on the streets of the city of Chicago that is stronger than what I see Sundays at churches. I was just at the point in Bronzeville yesterday. High Point Church, Pastor Jake's. I know the, I've seen firsthand, I've, I've gotten pretty good at my ministering and my Baptist <laughs> preaching on Sunday. My rabbi's very nervous and gave me a little shot the other day. But there is nothing more coercive on the street that the faith, sense of community, and love that exists in a church that, if it was on the street, would beat back. And so all of that, from policing to parenting to school principals 
to uh, preachers, all of it plays a role to employment, all of it. And it doesn't lend itself to one thing, and you're never going to find a singular thing um, uh, to do it. It's just not. And you have to, I mean, and I didn't even mention all the things that we've done in prevention. I'm most proud of the investments we've made. I call it not investments in schools or students, but investments in our youth. The fastest growing department for the city of Chicago wasn't the police department. It was by percentages, our after school, our summer jobs, our mentoring programs, and our early childhood. That was the fastest growing. It grew from I think like 20 million to $78 million. In t every year I added children to summer schools and uh, after school programs, even when we were tightening the rest of the budget. And to me though, those investments have paid off with record graduation rates because they support the goal of the school between three and eight, three, or rather eight and three, and then we invest in what happens after three o'clock or at the, end of, at the early part of June when they take summer break and make those learning moments. So to me, all of that uh, plays a role in public safety. I really think it's a mistake to just lay it on the responsibility of just the police department or an officer, although that plays a big role too. And we need to talk a little bit about that role because police reform has also been a major effort here and a, a major focus across the nation. Uh, you wrote an opinion piece for the New York Times uh, out this week about it. Mm -hmm. um, the killing of 17-year-old Laquan McDonald, which mm -hmm. uh, for our listeners shot 16 times by a police officer, that spurred the most decisive action to date, but it wasn't the first attempt in this city. And... Uh, it, it has led to a lot, but, mm -hmm. uh, but enough. Here, well, um, here's what I would say. First of all, fact, Chicago over 100 years has had seven other attempts at police reform. I do think, and this will stand the test of time, because for the first time we have a uh, judge oversight with a monitor to measure mon and report on progress. Second is even before that was named, the superintendent Johnson and I and the leadership have implemented a series of things from body cameras to tasers to better training around mental health, a whole set of steps. So we weren't waiting because we had the fierce sense of urgency to now. I think we made those changes. I think it is, you said, it's not the first shooting, but it sparked, it's a shooting that sparked, I think, the most significant reform. Now, what I wrote and what I, superintendent and I believe if you do reform to your police, there's no buy-in. If you do your reform with your police, there's buy-in. Second, one of the bigger things also happening with the hiring of 1,000 new officers and the new technology, every new officer only knows the world they're walking into. Every officer retiring knows the world of the last 20-some-odd years. And so you're actually every day, the next couple of days we're going to announce another 200 officers are going on the street. They've been trained under a new you know, re regime. They have a new leadership internalizing that regime, and they only know the world of today. They don't know the world of a police department that used to have Burge and, uh, or other types of events that you'd have a police officer beating the crap out of a woman in a bar. Okay, So to me, that's why I'm optimistic that this will be the reform that stands the test of time. Now, there's laws. There's rules, there's procedures, and then there's culture. And the culture will be the hardest one. Um, now, somebody, 
when I walked in on a different subject, for 30 years it was federal oversight of our hiring practices in the city, public hiring, because it was so politicized and so fraught with who you knew, not what you know. In three years, we got us from underneath that federal oversight because the judge acknowledged we had put in place not only changes, but we had changed the culture. I believe that can happen here too, but we're on the beginning days of it. Even though I think we've made a lot of progress in the last two years, we're on the beginning stages of it, but I'm optimistic that not only will the procedures and practices change, but the culture will come with it. But the fraternal order of police will still tell us and still says mm -hmm. we weren't in this process we were we were ignored in it uh certainly not a, a an integral part of it no well, i mean i participated in some of it but the superintendent did more but the rank of file were that's what the measure is where their voice they were the ones that said we need not one-time training in and out lifetime training came right out of the officers they're the ones that said we need closer relationship between rank and file and leadership, meaning sergeant, et cetera. We used to have like two police, 12 police officers for every sergeant. We're now down to eight, or on our way to eight, rather. Certain districts are already there, or nine to one, rather. Um, that came out of the rank and file. So um, I would actually tell you a lot of the things that are being done, body cameras, tasers, the constant training, the training on mental health for all came with recommendations from the police department. I participated in numerous focus groups with the superintendent. The rank and file were at the table. Now here's the thing, which is what I try to drive towards. Baltimore, we're making progress on gun violence, guns, re reduction in shootings, we're making prop property crimes, burglaries, robberies are at a 20 year low. Baltimore's experiencing something different. The difference is whether you have officers buy in or they feel like they're being victimized. And there'll be things that you disagree with, but if they do feel like they're being heard, listened to, and addressed, more likely that not only will the practice and procedures change, but the culture will change. I wanna ask you about something that you've been hearing over the years. Do you feel it's unjustified that yes. that, 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 that <laughs> of course, that 16 shots and a cover-up is a, has now become a chant that has typified that a, a significant portion of the African-American community still, that's how they perceive you. No, so that's not, first of all, I don't agree with that, but that said, let's just, we'll deal with the bigger premise. So look, Alderman Sawyer, the chairman of the Black Caucus, said there was no cover-up. Everybody looked at emails, all communications. You had a, actually an independent investigator. Looked at everything, nothing. Now, that does, that's one aspect. And the procedures followed were the procedures that had been in place. Now, Craig, you and I have talked about this privately, so mm -hmm. I'll just say it publicly. It wasn't what was, quote unquote, covered up. It was what was not covered. The only reporter that really dealt with this was Mary Mitchell. All of us, I'm the mayor though, so I own. All of us had gotten immune. It was just something that happened over the weekend. Nobody thought twice about it. In fact, when I dealt with it, the, the day at the city, when Steve Patton uh, testified, it was, was it descriptive? The questions were about money. In the size, well, although we, in, in, in our defense, it was a pretty big other story that day. I, that was the the reparations for the the uh, police torture, and, yeah. and that didn't happen under my watch. And we're the first city to do reparations, and still the only city to do that. Now that said, I'm not being. I, this is 
No, I, I wasn't mean, defending us. I, I was just yes, saying were. that I re we were we were remembering, remembering the day. Uh, yes, you're not a one ball juggler, nor am <laughs> I. That said, the po the point is, the question of all these instances, Craig, are do you learn from them and do something, not do you repeat them? And the moment I went down to the city council, and I don't mean this about criticism about my mayoral colleagues, meaning in Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Memphis. Seattle, Minneapolis, did they go into the city council and forthrightly address the issue, and then did they forthrightly go about fixing it? The question is, do you learn and do something about it? I get the pointing of fingers. I get it. What do you do when you learn? What corrective actions do you take, or do you deny those corrective actions? I will, and I will stand at the record that we have built, both going into the city council and forthrightly dealing with the subject, and that is not the first police shooting that ever happened in the history of the city. Today you have tapes that are made available that hadn't been before for 30, 40, 50, 60 years when there were dash cams available. And so, and you're still seeing that down in Texas. We were forthright in handling it, and we forthrightly dealt with it, and we dealt with it with vigor. We're going to continue our conversation with Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel in just one minute after this message. Welcome to Sinfron Explains. This week on Sinfron Explains, we honor mothers. Thank you to all the mothers, especially mine, for all your love and support. Women must be a strong element to any campaign. In nearly every township in Cook County, more women vote than men. In fact, during the 2018 governor's race, there were 10% more women voters than men. This is why it's critically important to have a strategy dedicated to attract women voters as part of your campaign. Reaching women online is easy. Gender is one of the most basic targeting options on any social media platform or Google AdWords. But the strategy has to be more than just tactics to reach them with targeted ads. Women care deeply about issues. They like to be part of movements instead of just voting for single candidates. Start with a strong messaging campaign, attract women influencers, and build communities online. This is a great start to building a strategy to engage women voters. This is Jason Bauman from Sinfronteras Media. I want to invite you to visit WeWinInIllinois.com to learn how we can help you leverage digital, data, and effective messaging to win your next election. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's Ad Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and I'm talking with our current mayor, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, and we're conducting this interview in his city hall office. And uh, I'm going to ask you about one more challenging uh, thing uh, right now, and that is uh, a headline that was in the Chicago Tribune uh, as we were getting toward week's end, and that was about uh, uh, the uh, Chicago uh, Public High School uh, Phillips, Phillips yeah. uh, and, and how your friend... A contributor, as the as the headline makes uh, makes clear, uh, Martin Koldike, uh, but also a longtime friend of yours. Uh, at, you, yeah, let me go at, right at this, Chris. The kids at Phillips. First of all, it's a high school that's up from when we started it. Mm -hmm. Two hundred kids, where other high schools are declining. It won the statewide football championship twice. The first team had six homeless kids, or four or to six homeless kids on it. They practice on a dirt field. That doesn't happen at Peyton. That doesn't happen at Northside. I make no bones about getting the kids on the South Side in Bronzeville, a football and athletic facility worthy of them. We have first-class kids. They deserve a first-class facility. At Simeon, we got them a track, football field, baseball field. At Kenwood, we got them a baseball field. We got them, rather, a track 
and a football field. At uh, at also at not only Kenwood at at um, Englewood High School, the new facility, a state-of-the-art sports facility. At Pullman, a state-of-the-art sports facility. At Corliss High School, the Gately Park, the first indoor track that Harold Washington talked about doing. At Limbloom, a track with lights, and now at Ogden Park near the elementary schools. I make no bones about the fact that I've gotten the kids on the south side things they should have had years ago. And I make, and then to the kids at Phillips, you've earned it. And here's the difference between Phillips and every one of the other schools, Kenwood, Lindblom, Simeon, Pullman, Corliss. Here's the difference. This one, we didn't pay for it ourselves. We got the state to pay five million. We got first class kids. About time that the kids on the south side get the same investments as the kids that go to Northside, Peyton, Lane Tech, and Whitney Young get. And the difference is, all the others, what are you gonna say? What happened to Kenwood? Who supported me for that? Who were the who were the wait a second? Where's the supporter for Simeon for me? We Janice and I and the team did this because it's the right thing to do. And for decades, these kids were treated like second-class citizens of the state of Illinois. And let's be honest, just like the early childhood years, they were treated like second-class citizens in the city of Chicago. And I give no quarter that I finally invested in the kids on the south side with the type of athletic facilities and academic facilities that they need. And and I wouldn't I wouldn't question the uh, uh, Phillips getting what it uh, what it got and what Martin Koldike asked for. But what he was asking you to do was to turn away from or which I, was another one of the uh, AUSL I, ch charter I, schools. As you notice, I didn't respond. I went to every one of the Phillips football team and I went and I actually helped start the Phillips high school. And now, here's the one thing you got to report. It's up a couple hundred kids from the day it started, meaning more parents are choosing it. If that was happening on the north side, would you build them an athletic facility? How can you get four months ago a report that says, oh, there's no investments in the south side. All of a sudden there's investments. Say, well, that looks dubious. Let me say this. Martin, Mike Holdike has been a friend of mine for 20 years. You think that that facility was built because he's a supporter? Then explain to me why we did it at Kenwood. Explain to me why we did it at Simeon. Explain to me why there's a $45 million facility going up at Gately Park near Corliss High School or Pullman or the $120 million facility in Englewood with a state of the art. This ain't worth the paper it's written on. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, some other kinds of paper. No, and that would, here, yeah, no, no, no. Here's what okay, you sure. got. I, I'm going to say this. Okay. I make no bones treating the kids of the city of Chicago in every neighborhood like the first-class citizens they were, just like I wrestled Rauner to finally paying and treating the kids with the investments they deserve, just like Naperville and Schaumburg were getting. And I also want to be clear, in the city, we made investments over the years at good schools that deserved it, Peyton, Lane Tech, Whitney Young, Northside, Jones. But the kids at Kenwood deserve that type of athletic facility. The kids at Simeon deserve that type of athletic facility. The kids at Lincoln Park High School are going to get it. They deserve that facility. What should have been done is years ago those things should have happened. They weren't. And I don't give any quarter to finally investing in the kids on the south side and the west side of the city and the southwest side because we made other investments in other facilities and treated them as they were special. All our kids are special, Craig, all of them. Can we talk about pensions for a minute? 
Yeah, you can put anything on. <laughs> um, and, and you were elected with blunt talk about the city's pension problems. Uh, but I would gather that that has proven uh, also a difficult uh, bear to wrestle to the ground. Uh, there's still major fixes, but you've, you've proposed a new one uh, this week, or at least a, another one. Yeah, what is left in the toolbox since the governor isn't going to support? <laughs> a, I'm using your your analogy here. Uh, I mean, he's not going to support a constitutional After eight years, amendment. You finally used my analogy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, once or twice before. But uh, the, the uh, chart changing, the, he's not going to change the state constitution to uh, allow uh, employee pensions to be uh, diminished or impaired. So what is left? Uh, you're you're talking about taxing some retirement income. Look, I'm, look, I'm trying to solve a problem that all of us have. And what I mean by all, uh, well, let's step, take a step back. Let me, I'm sorry for doing that jolt. <laughs> so. We got our structural budget under control. That was the big, dark cloud over the economy. And since we should not only show the will, but actually started resolving it, Chicago's jobs are, or have one of the highest employments in the history of our city, lowest unemployment and successful investments from around the world and around the United States in investments in corporate relocations where we led the country six consecutive years. The pensions, I haven't fixed. I stopped the bleeding, that's all I did. Now, the governor of the state of Illinois has a problem. Chicago has a problem. Aurora has a problem. Many, municipal many municipalities across Illinois have a problem. We all share not only a pension burden, but in DuPage County cities, suburban Cook, Aurora, et cetera, Rockford, we all have police and fire pensions. The state has one. My view, I've already said change the Constitution. The governor doesn't want to do that. I've tried to change and have benefits dealt with. I've given a speech to the city council, was forthright about the size and scope of the problem. Put all police and fire from everybody, not just Chicago, with the state. Everybody. So Schomburg, Naperville, Highland Park, Rockford, Aurora, Peoria, everybody. One consolidated fund for all police, one consolidated fund for all fire with the state. And then I would put a fee. I put it at 100000 You can do it at a different amount. For the first 100000 you earn tax-free. Anything above that gets a tax. Um, to me, it deals with the benefit side that some say the Constitution won't allow you. Second, you're going to get the money back because you're receiving the pension. And third, your economic engines, Chicago, DuPage County, immediately our balance sheet dramatically improves and we can start to make other investments, et cetera. And to me, that's the most equitable way to deal with both benefits, guaranteeing retirement, without overburdening homeowners to do it. Because at the end of the day, what the governor needs to do and what the city of Chicago needs to do and what other municipalities do is going to go after the same taxpayers. And so to me, the way to do this equitably, and that's just another idea I provide as a way to try to address this problem. I'm not look, looking to hurt anybody. I'm looking to, I believe in the pension. I believe in the guarantee uh, security that comes with a pension. But how do you do it in a way that doesn't destroy the economy or further degrade it? So here's a thought that I think is equitable. 
And then from what I know, Boston Consulting now has a report showing this is the right way. And this is not Chicago being bailed out. Every city would have their police and fire go to a state. We'd have a single account. Kind of like what we do on uh, what are called municipals, what do we do on teachers, except for Chicago. To me, that would make that's equitable and fair. And that is going to be our last word. Uh, Mayor Emanuel, thank you very much for taking the time and welcoming me into your office one more time. <laughs> uh, to our listeners, if you'd like... Casa, su casa, right? <laughs> oh, thank you. At least for another week. Uh, <laughs> uh, to our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this uh, program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's wbbmnewsradio.com. Just follow the podcast links. You can also find our podcasts on radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.